0: Today. This is Senator Malcolm Roberts on Our Nation Today. Our debt of gratitude to our Australian healthcare workers over the past two years is impossible to quantify. Doing what they love, thousands of nurses and doctors have been at our beck and call, taking care of people who've become ill during the virus. The mandatory introduction of the COVID injections has wreaked havoc in many sectors, with large numbers of staff forced to leave their jobs to exercise their bodily autonomy and human right to not be injected. It's our doctors and nurses who are seeing firsthand the concerning of adverse effects from these injections. And perhaps not surprisingly, these stories are not finding their way into the withering legacy media. Doctors and nurses who try to advocate for their patients' rightful access to informed consent and bodily autonomy are threatened with disciplinary hearings and dismissal. Others, like Kathy, a registered nurse working in mental health, refuse to stay silent, and have already resigned from their job, that is their passion, and are now free to speak out about what they have experienced. Kathy is a registered nurse and a registered mental health nurse. She joins me on Our Nation today to share her experience over the past 18 months, including adverse reactions from the COVID injections and the adverse mental health impacts on our healthcare workers. Welcome, Kathy.
1: Thank you, Malcolm.
0: Kathy, can you tell us why you chose nursing and specifically why mental health?
1: I chose nursing because nursing is in my blood. My mother was a registered nurse. I have an uncle who's a doctor. I'm a very caring person. I'm passionate. I'm very interested in the body and the way it works. And it's just something that was a pathway that was always going to happen for me ever since I was a child. I always wanted to be a nurse. And I made that dream come true. As for being a mental health registered nurse, I've had people in my own circle as in family members, friends who have been affected by mental illness. So on a personal level, uh, I saw the challenges that my family has endured. So I thought I need to make a change. So that's why I made my specialty mental health approximately four years ago.
0: Yes, and I've I've seen a video of you speaking in public, and and you certainly are passionate. I mean, you're genuine, you're the real deal. So let's talk about uh, briefly just a summary of of, um, medications these days. We all want safe treatment, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And we all want freedom to each make our choice and for that to be accepted. We basically all want freedom, choice and acceptance of our choice. Would you agree? Yes. And we each decide what is put into our body or we should be each deciding what is put into our body.
1: Absolutely. A hundred percent. Freedom of choice.
0: So we all wholeheartedly support medicines that are fully tested and proven safe, effective and preferably affordable and preferably readily available. Yes, that would be the ideal. That's what i would say about that. Okay, so as a mental health nurse, I assume you were not in with the COVID patients, yet there were some lockdowns that impacted in the mental health area, weren't there?
1: Yes. Yes, lockdowns did occur in South Australia. We had a snap three day lockdown. It was meant to be a six day and then we had another week. Uh, it's been a while for us, obviously, compared to the eastern states, but still there was a significant increase in suicidal ideation. It's impossible to verify these statistics. It's impossible to verify any suicidal ideation or suicide rates across Australia at this point in time, which is very disappointing. But, yes, there was significant impact on people with previous mental illness, and now we are also seeing an increase in depression and anxiety amongst the South Australian Australian community at large.
0: Isn't South Australia the place where the health chief health officer or told people not to catch a football?
1: Correct. Ridiculous.
0: After the introduction of the yes. COVID injections, what unfolded in your previous workplace? And what role, if any, has coercion played in achieving vaccination rates? And how has that affected the culture of these workplaces?
1: We received a large large number of emails um, as in work emails consistently saying come on protect the community or frontline workers this is the right thing to do you know your professionals your health professionals consistently received email after email after email and I personally felt the coercion I obviously didn't agree with the coercion but I tell you what I was booked in twice to have the COVID-19 vaccines on a personal level. And I didn't have it. And I'm very, very grateful for that.
0: Why are you grateful for that?
1: Because now I've seen significant adverse reactions in both colleagues and the community at large, particularly with regards to our young people. There's been reactions across all demographics, Malcolm, but particularly with regards to our younger teenage boys. Girls, uh, which are now being targeted at this present time in schools, particularly in South Australia, I believe, and other schools across Australia, high schools at this time, not primary schools yet.
0: Yeah, it's, it's, so, it's surprising, it's stunning that um, so many contradictions, so much uh, insanity, so much illogic in this, because fancy nurses and doctors getting pigeoned or getting bashed by emails, and yet they're saying, you know you're the healthcare professionals and you know what you're doing and they're saying come on i'm i'm not a healthcare professional but i want you to get the injection so that we can all get yeah. on with it
1: the emails came out quite quickly after the initial rollout so there was all this sort of almost hysteria about it like come on what what were your reactions yeah i was sick for 2 weeks i just got a bit of a headache i just got a bit of a sore arm now the fact that my colleagues were even getting headaches alarmed me I've never had a headache from any vaccine previously. I've had all the vaccines. I'm a registered nurse. You have to have all the vaccines. What you do not have to have is a medical experiment which is untried and untested with any short-term safety data or long-term safety data, which is what you would expect of every vaccine or any medicine, if you like, that you put into your body. You want to know it's safe. There's no data. There's no statistics, and it's not okay. So I've even had the meningococcal times two meningococcal B times two vaccinations and so have to my two daughters because meningococcal B has, it's the highest rate in Australia in South Australia so I'm aware being a registered nurse that I was at risk of getting meningococcal B now that concerns me more than getting covid-19 actually getting meningococcal B I didn't have any reactions my daughters didn't have any reactions to these vaccines so for people to even get headaches feel sick get flu-like symptoms and they're the mild ones I uh, rang alarm bells for me
0: early on. And and what about the impact on the workplace, the culture in the workplaces when, uh, for example, there's been a survey that a nurse up here told me about, pretty authoritative nurse. She said 40% of nurses only took the injection because they were forced into it, coerced into it. They were desperate. And that is not right. But so what is the impact when you've got 40% of your people doing something that they disagree with being forced to do it and also then having the threat uh, the, the, or the fear rather hanging over them of an adverse reaction in the future maybe not next week maybe year after or maybe four years down the road What what is the impact on the workplace with that kind of fear in there?
1: Well I feel with some colleagues that there was a feeling of disappointment and fear not really knowing what the long-term effects of the COVID-19 vaccines regardless of which ones you got are going to be. Some people fully believed and still fully believe that this is the way to go to protect people even though that they can still get COVID-19 and transmit COVID-19 but they still fully believe that you know they were doing the right thing others are not so sure a little bit on the fence a little bit concerned and that seems to be more the younger nurses I've noticed uh, maybe the ones that want to fall pregnant or have got young children, but they felt, hey, I've got a mortgage, I've got kids to feed, I've got school fees, whatever, even public schools have fees, I have to do this. Uh, there was They basically didn't see an option, which is sad. They were not fully consented, I believe. I believe in full informed consent. This has not been the process. Been, I've read the documents from some of these medications and I was not in agreeance of them at all. They're not fully disclosing everything that could potentially happen to people who receive this medical experiment.
0: There must be a hell of a conflict within a lot of the nurses and doctors because every day they're checking to make sure a patient before he or she takes a surgical procedure or a, or a medicine, the nurse checks very carefully Mm. and thoroughly that for that patient's understanding of what what their problem is what their what their needs are what the consequences are what the possible risks are what the benefits are of the treatment that they're about to be given and the nurse goes through that in quite detail before administering the treatment so here they are not having informed consent having quite the reverse being bullied into something coerced into something How does that sit with someone when you go through life thinking one thing but doing the opposite?
1: Well, it doesn't sit very well. It seems very contradictory, almost hypocritical. It's like, yes, when someone's going in for a procedure, say they're having, I don't know, an ear operation, for example, we check everything. We check, we double check, we quadruple check, we check their armbands, we check their wristbands, we ask them, what is your name? What is your date of birth? You know, which ear are we operating on? Um, you know, do you understand the procedure? Have you got any questions? We ask them, the doctor asks them, the anaesthetist asks them. There is a myriad of procedures and policies that you must go through before any procedure, any procedure. You must be fully, fully disclosing the risks, any adverse events that may occur to this particular patient, or you've got the risk of litigation. You know, healthcare workers are more, more than aware of litigation issues. So we don't want to be you know, be litigated against. So we cross check, we double check, we triple check. Does that make sense?
0: Yes, it does. And and I've been in hospital having procedures, and and I've seen that, and they go to a lot of trouble. So to me, if if I'm trained to do that, and I tra- and I'm trained that that is essential before someone takes on a on a, a procedure or a medication, then I'm suddenly forced to to bypass all that. It makes me wonder, and also then makes me wonder even more if my kids are subjected at the age of twelve to something like that at school where they've got no ability really to make that decision for informed consent because they can't understand the consequences.
1: My problem with that, Malcolm, is that you have to be at least 17 to get your license. You do in South Australia anyway. You have to be 18 to drink alcohol. In the United States, you have to be 21 to drink alcohol, but it's okay for a 12 year old to say, perform a medical procedure on me. That does not make any sense whatsoever. It's uh, very questionable, it's very contradictory and it's very concerning.
0: And there, there are so, so many contradictions in this because um, some people are saying, well, we need to protect the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. Well, hang on, doesn't that mean that the vaccine is not effective? So if it's effective, if it's not effective, why are you forcing me to take it when I don't want it? It's just and illogical. Why?
1: why the boosters every 6 months what's that about i mean if it was a good you know reliable vaccine it wasn't a leaky vaccine or an ineffective vaccine you shouldn't need boosters every 6 months have you had the tetanus injection most people have had the tetanus injection what's the booster what's the booster time frame after having a tetanus injection do you know
0: i think it's 10 years but i haven't had one for a long long time Is well you are correct
1: it's 10, 10 years it's so, so why after, why can you wait 10 years to be protected from tetanus, which is a very serious illness, very, very serious. Um, why six months for a booster after you've already had two and then six months later they want you to have another one? Now, to me, that doesn't make any sense. What's wrong?
0: What's and, 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 what's... and then, then Cathy, um, if I take of my own free will and make a decision to take something, that's fine. But if someone threatens me to say um, you must do the booster because it's now a few months after the last one and your your efficacy is gone uh, you must take a booster otherwise your injection status is revoked then I'm thinking what the hell is going on
1: hmm. well we can see what's happening in Israel they're up to number four the first two were revoked unless you had number three now unless you've had number three and uh, number four sorry the third one's revoked and it just goes on and on I mean when did this stop I believe and now I can't I can't verify this, but I believe there may be eight injections in total. That's the rumours going around. I hope not. (laughs) Um, That seems, you know, incredulous to me. But, I mean, look, two is enough. Then we've got to have the boosters. And you're right, and uh, it really worries me. And this vaccine passport business, yeah, not impressive.
0: A a lot of the, the contradictions within each state government, for example, here in Queensland, uh, the contradictions from within the state government from week to week, reversing its decisions, reversing, it, reversing its advice. And then between our government and, say, the South Australian government and the Victorian government and the New South Wales government and the federal government, it just leaves me with no real confidence at all in these people. It doesn't
1: leave any confidence in me. And, I'm, you know, I'm a very proud Australian. I love my country. That's why I'm doing what I'm doing now. I love my state. I love my country. This needs to stop. It needs to stop. There are too many young people dying. There are too many people getting adverse reactions across all demographics, you know. And as I said in the initial interview, which by the way was not premeditated or preplanned, that just happened. Uh, on yeah, when we had the nurses' protest here in Adelaide, that that interview I did was not premeditated. I didn't do this to receive exposure or anything. I did it because I am genuinely very, very worried about what is happening in our beautiful country of Australia in this current climate. It is extremely concerning. And as
0: I understand it Cathy, correct me if I'm wrong and elaborate if you want, um, you were the organizer or one of the organizers of that protest yes. and it just spontaneously yes. came to you when they shoved microphones near you and you just decided hell with it I'm speaking and I tell you what you did a bloody good job.
1: Oh, thank you. Martha. That's very nice of you to say that. Now
0: no, it's true. It's the true thing because, is, because you had you, you spoke with confidence, passion, clarity. And, and you were just so precise in what you said. It was very, very clear.
1: I've been researching this for at least 10 months, okay? I saw alarm bells from day one. This this pandemic came out and then literally within a few months there was a vaccine. I thought, hang on a minute. Yeah, this is all uh, a little bit too coincidental for my liking and that rang alarm bells and then we're hearing about bats and bat sandwiches and (laughs) and then we heard that it came out from the Wuhan Institute and it went on and on and more of these so-called conspiracy theories and I don't even believe in conspiracy theories because they're all coming true um just happened more and more and more so yeah as for that interview look I was um I don't know, edged on, I guess, by a couple of my colleagues who were standing behind me and said, Cathy, get up there. You're good at this. Do it. And I thought, you know what? What the hell? It's now or never. So bang, that just happened. It was, yeah, it was not planned. I did help organise the protest absolutely, because we were stood down in South Australia on the 1st of November. From the 1st of November, if you did not have the TGA provisionally, and I'm going to repeat, provisionally approved vaccine, You were not allowed on the premises of your workplace from the 1st of November. So we thought, you know what, let's have a get together, a bit of a morale-boosting situation for the healthcare workers that have been stood down on Monday, the 1st of November. Let's make it the day after.
0: Yeah, and, and, um, you know, I I want to emphasise what you just said, provisionally approved vaccines, because I asked the Therapeutic Goods Administration head and the Chief Medical Officer for the Federal Government, said, "What what is provisional approval? And and they said it's where there's no alternative available which raises all kinds of questions because we know there are but they won't approve them for use with COVID Mm -hmm. Um, but these these injections you've done research so let's just confirm my understanding as well these injections have not been thoroughly tested they've not even been really properly tested and and so and my understanding is that it takes around five, at the minimum, seven years, sometimes 10 years to get proper approval, proper testing. Mm-hmm. But not only have they done this in, in a, such a short period, they have willfully ignored studies of what happens between generations, pa- passing of, of traits down through the generations. And they could have done them through rats and mice because rats and mice have a very short, uh, what do you call it, uh, intergenerational time span. And so they could have done those studies, but they didn't do them. And, and that to me is just so wrong.
1: They did some studies on rats and mice, but they didn't do them for long enough. And you know what? I don't care if you pour billions of dollars into researching any vaccines, you need the time. You need the time, you need the statistics, you need the research, you need to study thoroughly what is going on before you inject anything into human beings, okay? So yeah, the whole thing is ridiculous. It's been way too rapid. To me, the emergency is questionable. What emergency? I'm not seeing an emergency of COVID-19 and I'm beginning to think that people out there in the community and even the vaccinated, no disrespect to you, but I think people are starting to question what is actually going on? Why am I still not allowed over the borders until particular dates if I'm vaccinated? Why do I have to wear a mask if I'm vaccinated? Why do I have to social distance if I'm vaccinated? Why am I still having the restrictions on me that the unvaccinated are having? Now, I believe that the government is looking at changing that and possibly locking out the unvaccinated from certain shops, certain department stores, unfortunately. That's what we're hearing more and more about with the COVID-19 vaccine passport. I believe this is wrong because at the end of the day, if you are vaccinated, as I said earlier in this interview, you can still get COVID-19 and you can still transmit COVID-19. So where is the protective factor? Where is it? Are people thinking, okay, once we get the booster, like number three, then we're protected? I don't know because Israel's up to number four. So is number three not working?
0: You're making There's a lot perfect. of questions here, Malcolm. You're making perfect sense. Perfect sense. So... Tell us about, I, I know you work in mental health, um, so I'm not going to ask you for your clinical diagnosis or anything like that about adverse uh, effects, but I know you talk closely with uh, nurses who do work uh, with, the, with the people suffering adverse effects. Can you tell us what you've learned secondhand, please?
1: Yeah, we're seeing a large increase in the number of CVAs, which are strokes, cerebrovascular accidents. We're seeing a large increase in Gillian Barre disease which is usually fairly rare we're seeing uh i believe there is a large increase in uterine cancers i believe there is a large increase in people just getting generalized rashes fatigue sort of um what else is there um shingles shingles is uh yeah even in the unvaccinated because you get the viral shedding as well now, can you get the viral shedding issues from the vaccinated to the unvaccinated people? Again, no disrespect if you're vaccinated, but there are significant issues with regards to this. So at the end of the day, we all, in a way, get vaccinated, whether you've had the injection put into your body or not. So there's those issues. There's the eruption of latent viruses, such as herpes as well, that's occurring in the vaccinated and the un- and the unvaccinated um, I know a specific story, if I may share that, if that's okay. I spoke to the mother this morning of an 18-year-old here in Adelaide who had his first injection. I'm not going to say which one, but we can probably all work out which one is being targeted at the young people of Australia on Thursday, the 4th of November. Now, he is a young uni student. He heard on mainstream news that uni students will be mandated very, very soon. This is bus mobile clinic type thing i'm not i can't verify whether it was a bus or some sort of mobile vaccination clinic came to one of the large shopping centers here in adelaide and he thought oh well what the hell i might as well get it i'm going to have to have it because i'm at uni anyway he went and got it now about 26 hours later on um I think it's about to, be, yeah. On the Friday night, his mum said he started to get incredible chest pain. Really, really bad chest pain. This is a young, 18-year-old, healthy young male. Let's remember this. He didn't have any pre-existing conditions, as they keep saying, that he didn't have any underlying comorbidities at all. So he said it's this really bad chest pain. He didn't want to wake up mum and dad because he thought, ah, oh, nothing of it, you know what kids are like. Then they said, look, what's going on? So eventually went and woke up mum and dad and they went down to one of the major hospitals here in Adelaide, I'm not going to name which one, and they presented to ED, the emergency department, and basically it wasn't taken very seriously, according to this mother, which is very disappointing. So because he didn't come via an ambulance and mum basically took her son down herself, she presented to the triage nurse and the triage nurse said, what's going on? Okay, we had the injection of such and such a day ago, okay um and she's a nurse okay the mum's a nurse and she said he needs to have a d-dimer test which shows if there is an increase in microscopic blood clots or blood clots in the body and they, they didn't do it they did do an ecg which is an electrocardiogram and they did a chest x-ray and they basically said he's got a type of h pylori bacteria or a reflux or um might have myocarditis but we don't know so, and I said, okay, well, what's the treatment now? And she said, nothing. They just sent him home. We had to wait six and a half hours before they saw a doctor. He's sitting there with chest pain. He's 18 years old. Okay. Like normally I have worked in ED in the past. Someone's with chest pain is is virtually a priority one. Like they are straight in. There's no mucking around. So what's going on with the cover-ups? Um, so, yeah, and, and I spoke to her today and I said, well, he's got a cardiologist appointment. And she said, oh, well, I probably need to make one. Make one. And I said, absolutely. And you get him an, ex- an exemption. He's not having the next injection. That's ridiculous. It'll kill him. So she's like, okay, and she's on to it. So I, I'm, I'm trying to educate people. Um, this is serious, you know. And for the universities to be mandating that, no, 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 no. No, you've got to be telling them exactly why. Why are they being mandated? What risk are they posing when the majority of people that have died of COVID-19 are over 75 years old?
0: Yeah. um, Talk a bit more about the the myocarditis because we understand that that's quite prevalent amongst um, people who have been given the Pfizer shot, for example. Is that correct?
1: Mm, For example, yes. Um, Have you heard of Dr Peter McCulloch? the american cardiologist okay so i watched one of his clips the other night and he was saying that generalized myocarditis like which you get it sort of naturally if you like is nowhere near as serious as a myocarditis that is presenting after having particular covid19 vaccines the inflammatory process is a lot lot worse The outcome is a lot worse. The treatment is more difficult because they're not really understanding. Like, it seems to be a different kind of myocarditis. But it is presenting as uh, very challenging for the doctors, and they're worried. Now, Dr. Peter McCulloch is a world-renowned cardiologist. He knows his stuff. Now, why is he going on as many platforms as possible if he wasn't concerned? So, to me, that's a concern. And that goes to, say, for a lot of specialists and immunologists around-the-world scientists, they're all coming out. You've heard of Dr Ryan Fuelwick doing the Nuremberg 2, of course. Everyone's heard of him. Um, they're all coming out in, in the thousands, more and more, risking their professions. I've I just risked mine because I couldn't sleep at night. I, I'm a bit like, I guess, Alexander, the young doctor that resigned in Sydney because so many police officers were coming to him with stories about what's going on. You know, we don't want to be assaulting people and doing this anymore. It's not part of our... Um, policy I guess it's not part of our training of being a police officer so he stood down and resigned so he could get the truth out well I understand how he feels it it does wear you down when you know what's going on
0: well one, one of the things that intrigues me is that in my experience everywhere I've been nurses policemen teachers aged care workers These people who work in a caring industry or a service industry that that provides a real service, I mean, policemen, uh, they're looking after people's lives. Their decisions affect people's lives on the spur of the moment. These people have universally entered those professions because they care and they want to serve. I was with three uh, policemen on a podcast last night for about two hours, and they were so impressive, Kathy. They were professional, they were Mm clear-headed, they were clear-speaking their service and their their care and their passion for what they did came through i said did because two of them have resigned and one of them has been stood down because they don't want to enforce laws that they know are wrong and they don't want to take these orders from lawbreakers at high office in the in the state in the states of victoria and new south wales and queensland that's how strongly these people believe in what they're doing so yeah. Why is it that some nurses, it must be enormous pressure, why is it that some nurses can stand back and watch this young young boy of 18, young man of 18, not getting the right treatment and basically leaving him alone and, and not, not treating, um, as you said, a priority one?
1: Because they've, been, because they've been gagged. They're not allowed to tell the truth. They know what's going on. But if they tell the truth, look, I believe a lot of it's not even being recorded anymore and I can't verify that, but that's what I'm hearing more and more. Things are not being recorded. Um, There's handovers happening. A handover means when the nurse-to-nurse hands over, shift-to-shift, which the police would do. I believe that it's not being mentioned whether the particular person has been vaccinated or not. And I believe that some of the people are telling the staff themselves, but you know I had the such-and-such such vaccine, don't you? Oh, did you? No, that wasn't told. Um, so, yeah, everyone's gagged, everyone's scared, everyone's frightened. They're, they know that more and more health practitioners are being stood down, are being suspended from practice, they've got mortgages to pay. They're really, really in a very sticky situation. Um, and I basically, I want to be the voice for the people that are voiceless
0: so they're being coerced into getting the injections and they're being coerced into being silent on the adverse effects of the injection. That must really, must really put, a, um, put them in a difficult position because they're going against their professional ethics, but they do have a yes. mortgage to, and, and kids to feed and so on. I understand that. It must also give them really deep concerns because they've probably had the same injections.
1: Well... <laughs> There's a reason why there's, uh, what, 4,000 healthcare workers in Queensland that are currently stood down is because, yeah, they know. They know. And the ones that are finding out from the adverse reactions and kind of got caught up in the hype that I was talking about earlier and got swept up in it, yeah, have you had yours, have you had yours, may be questioning their decision now, which is sad because once you've had it, you've got it in your body for life. There's no taking it out unless you got the placebo. Now I believe, and I, I can't verify that by this, but I believe that about thirty percent of the first rollout are placebos. But I'm not so sure about the boosters. Remember, it's an experiment. It's a medical experiment.
0: You're sure about that placebo because I know the Federal Health Minister Greg Hunter said the world is engaged in the largest clinical vaccination trial. I know that.
1: Trial. I've Correct. never heard
0: that. That means they act by, by handing out a placebo. That means they actually know that this is a trial.
1: It's a trial, and he said it on national television. We're not saying anything that's not being said. You can go on the TGA and look at the statistics. Now, just before this interview, Malcolm, I went on to the TGA. I did some research. It's not easy to find the statistics. I went to print all the adverse reactions, and they've stopped you from printing them. There's about 52 pages You can't print them off. Now, I was happy to print off 52 pages. You literally cannot do it. So I think that, you know, they don't want this out there. Like, if we print out all the 52 pages of adverse reactions and then we take them into our grade 5 students' classroom and say to the teacher, hey, look at this. That's not going to look very good, is it? No, No, we take it into the year 10 classroom and there's 52 pages of adverse reactions. You know... This is what we need to get out there. The Therapeutic Goods Association, this is a government website. Get on there, research. And when you do research, you put in D-A-E-R-S, I think, I believe it is. Um, And you've got to go from link to link to link and you will see the stats. You will see how many deaths. And I think we're up to about over 70,000 adverse reactions. Um, So I believe that some of this is being underreported. Again, I can't verify that. I don't want to incriminate Anyone here, but um, there seems to be some miscommunication going on.
0: Well, I challenged the, I asked a question of the Therapeutic Goods Administration head, Professor John Skerritt, in Senate Estimates hearings a few weeks ago, uh, a question about the 564 uh, deaths from the vaccines. And he just about jumped off his chair, very, very upset. He said, no, no, there have only been nine. So what I technically did was make a mistake in the way I said it because I then thought, hang on, my staff do very good research. They don't make mistakes like that. So I went and checked on the Therapeutic Goods Administration website itself under adverse effects and doctors reported 564 deaths. But the TGA has assessed them and scaled it down to nine. So that left me with the only alternative to to go back into the Senate estimates hearings and ask the the acting head or the the deputy secretary rather of the the health department, because the the TGA had gone, they'd finished their session. Can you please show me, detail to me the process that the Therapeutic Goods Administration uses to reclassify what a doctor has said is a death from the injection and how they reclassify that into not being a death to the, due to the injection. Can you tell me whether an autopsy has been done, whether blood samples were taken, whether the tissues were cultured and all the other things that, that are needed for doing that? Can you please provide me with that process? And, of course, I didn't expect her to do it on the spot. She took that on notice. So we'll see what they've got to say in the next six weeks or so. But, you know, that's a te- technicality. They, they said, no, 564 have not died. What I should have said was 564 have been reported by doctors as deaths due to, due to the vaccine sorry what were you going to say
1: uh, I believe there hasn't been any autopsies in Australia I don't know I do know that early on with COVID-19 that the Italian doctors did autopsies and found that the treatment that COVID-19 patients are receiving across the world may be not the right treatment without saying too much um, after finding that a lot of these people were full of blood clots with the autopsies. so. Yeah, I won't go into too much detail with that, but um, that is questionable as well, the actual treatment that the COVID-19 patients have received or people have received, I beg your pardon, across the world. Um, Yeah, very concerning, Malcolm. It's all very concerning. But uh, you can find the stats on the TGA if you look hard enough and you cannot try it, Everyone Australia. Try and print them off. Try and print off the adverse reactions, and there are many. There are so many I, I... I wanted to rent them off, but I couldn't, unfortunately. So I would be telling you what they are right now. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot, and it's very concerning. People are, are going deaf, blind. There are other reactions, losing their taste. You know, like the, you know how the COVID-19 symptoms, people were losing their taste, people were getting headaches, people couldn't hear, they were getting ring. These, it's like people are getting these reactions from the vaccines, similar to what the initial COVID-19 infection was causing, but a hundred times worse than what the original infection would actually give you. So, you know, you're getting the same symptoms and some very, very serious symptoms. To me, I'd rather actually have the COVID-19 infection any day of
0: the week. Right, (laughs) it's it's interesting, you know, uh, we've asked the question in the Senate, how many died, died from COVID and how many died with COVID? Because it seems to me if people had comorbidities, that really were the cause of death. they still, and they had COVID. They were with co- COVID. Was with them when they died. That's labelled the COVID COVID uh, death. But with yes. the injections, it seems to be, if um, the same old question, but they answer it differently. Did they die because of the injection or with the injection? You know, they they seem to be reversing that little argument. Um, you mentioned a little while ago you're particularly concerned about the young. Was that that that? Uh, 18-year-olds you're talking about, or are you talking about even younger, like 12?
1: Well, I'm talking, uh, as I said in that initial interview, that Australia has been given the green light, I believe, to now start in January. I think they're looking at the rollout, still going through some uh, approvals at the moment, but I believe the rollout will commence in January for five to 11-year-olds in Australia with uh, one of the vaccines that has not been approved for children in America. So that, to me, is extremely concerning for our children. Uh, I believe that there have been no deaths from the COVID-19 infection in Australia at all. I can't verify that. I can't find any statistics. Um, I can't find anything. Amongst children in Australia, I don't know of any that have died of COVID-19, do you?
0: No, I don't. And uh, um, so we, we're, we're treating people who've got basically zero chance of dying or getting seriously ill from COVID because they're so young um with something that could kill them
1: they're saying like you know if you want to go and visit granny and grandpa you've got to protect them you know you like you don't want to be giving granny and grandpa COVID 19. i think this is the stance they're using well again you still get COVID 19 you still transmit COVID 19. so how are they protecting granny and grandpa could you please you know
0: exactly hmm, exactly I'm not sure I'm not um, sure about this so Oh, you've already asked my answered my seventh question, um, and and my eighth. Um, what about parents and and your colleagues in terms of um, what what do they think about injecting young kids down to as low as, as five? And and by the way, what you're implying, what you're saying, and what what I conclude and it is the only possible conclusion there is, is that the overseas have refused to to in, to inject kids down to five, but without testing our TGA is going to approve them down to five. So there's there's no testing been done.
1: No, no, it it hasn't been done. So Israel's in big trouble. Apparently 80% of their hospitalised people are uh, vaccinated. So um, I don't know how far down they've gone with children, but I believe we're one of the first countries. Uh, I'm not sure. Israel is, is the you know, uh, an original place, if you like, but uh, they've been pretty well hammered by this. So I don't know how far down their ages go, but I, I all I do know is that America is not allowing 5 to 11-year-olds to be injected at this point and at
0: that's, all. I think that's, that's, that's with, it's off the table. Yeah. yeah, and that's with Pfizer, uh, and Pfizer is what's being used here. Um, so our TGA... And, and another
1: one. And another one that I'm not going to name, not just okay. Pfizer.
0: Um, okay. So, so, any thoughts from parents that you can pass on, or your own colleagues, injected or not injected, about? Kids? I know of
1: a lot. Yeah, I know of a lot of parents who are homeschooling now here in Adelaide. They're starting up homeschooling everywhere. There are teachers that have just been mandated. I attended um, a get together last Sunday and I spoke at it for the teachers. Uh, they would have received their mandate by now. We're very concerned. Um, I think I praise them for standing up because they are setting. They're setting the standard for their students and their colleagues that they do not want to be injected with a medical experiment. And if a, you know, a 10-year-old goes, well, how come this such and such? My teacher doesn't want it. Why would I want it, Mum? You know, I think they're fantastic for doing it. But they, these are the homeschooling teachers of the future. But how? what a sad situation that teachers... We don't have enough teachers now, let alone nurses, healthcare workers. So there we go. Let's lose another how many thousands of teachers across Australia. Ridiculous. You know, we don't have one of the highest standards of education in the world, and that's no disrespect for teachers, but we are lagging. I think we all know that. Uh, do we want our, do you want our kids to lag even more? Do you want us to, you know, we want Australia to be a place that people wanna come to and people admire and respect. Well, I'm not feeling that anymore, Malcolm. I'm quite concerned about our reputation on our overseas stance, you know, well, I'm,
0: people at Australia. I'm also concerned about what the community thinks because not only does it apply to aged care workers, teachers, nurses doctors but think about the police especially say in a regional town in in uh, rural uh, Australia you might only have two I'm thinking of one town in particular in central Queensland two two uh, Mm -hmm. policemen there and one is older experienced he understands that a lot of the police working is done preventatively prophylactically it's done uh, personally by building relationships the young buck though wants to come in and, and collar everyone and all of a sudden the, old guy says, the older guy says, um, I'm not going to get this injection. And so he quits. The young buck is left there. But think about this. He is left there on his own. He doesn't know how to do it, how to be a policeman in a rural town. So he brings yes. enormous pressure on himself. In addition to that, Kathy, the police force is now short-staffed. So there's added pressure on him to do do work. And then think about this. That man who's probably young not very experienced in interpersonal skills has now got to go and enforce small businesses in his town to exclude the uninjected he is in for a hell of a time
1: it's it's terrible it's terrible and you know he's starting out his career he's obviously got into it for a reason because this is the career i want to be in i want to serve the people i want to serve the community they are making it extremely difficult he is going to get hell Isn't it hard enough learning to be a police officer as a young person? Isn't it hard enough to learn the ropes, let alone the older person? So he's just left there hanging to run a town without any support. That's ridiculous and it's unsafe. It's unsafe for the community. It's unsafe for him. He's targeted. There's going to be some very angry business people. It's not his fault. He comes from higher than him. So what's he going to do? End up resigning because he can't handle the pressure? Is he going to be on stress leave? I believe there are a lot of people in his position who are on stress leave right now as we speak.
0: Potentially worse, Cathy, he might be soured because, because he's been put in such a position that he has to resort to force or, or intimidation himself. Then he becomes a soured cop, and there aren't many of them, but there are some. He becomes a soured cop and he affects many people's lives for the rest of his career because he's been turned off.
1: Well, he gets burnt out. We call it burnt out in mental health. If you've been in something, say say you've been in a position for years and years and years, and you kind of become a bit uh, negative or, you know, I don't know, questioning the whole the whole system, and we call it burnt out. So he these people are going to be burnt out before their time. Okay, he should be getting burnt out around
0: fifty, not thirty. <laughs> so so members of parliament, I just want to raise something to put this in context. You don't need to answer this because you weren't there, but. Um, in Parliament, there have been standover tactics, bullying, even accusations of rape, right? So that's that's the, that's the culture in Parliament House in some uh, MPs' offices, in some departments, some yes. ministerial suites. So so what, what the government said was we're going to offer everyone training on, well, now let me just get the title here, safe and respectful workplace training, okay? Safe and respectful workplace training. Makes sense. I got some really good tips out of it. Now, I rocked up there thinking on, on Monday morning, fresh, and thinking, okay, I'm going to be joining a Zoom call with 20 other people. No, it was a one-on-one with uh, a consultant, and she was very good. She, 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 we didn't learn that much, but we confirmed each other's views, and, and we're all good. But you know, spontaneously, Kathy, when I started that, and I, di- I didn't attack her, I just calmly said, you know, it suddenly come to my mind, I won't mention her name, she was very good, lovely lady. I suddenly said, you know what, it suddenly dawned on me that the government is spending a lot of money on consultants doing this on t- making sure that we don't bully people while they're forcibly injecting people around the country with something they don't want and they're breaching bodily sanctity. The, you know, that's just, um, you're the biggest, not you, but the government is the biggest bullies on, on, on the country. They're, they're injecting, forcing, and intimidating injecting on millions of people, tens of millions of people.
1: Which is a form of bullying, coercion, manipulation, all the things that they are being taught not to do is actually happening onto the Australian community at large. So it seems a little bit hypocritical to me, Malcolm. A bit of hypocrisy, perhaps?
0: Yep. Um, and there's been a lot of hypocrisy and a lot of contradictions in this. You know, one of the things you've probably heard of Maria Montessori, done wonderful work. She's, she's dead now. Uh, died a few decades ago. She's done wonderful work. I, I would argue that she has done the most, the most authoritative body of work. Phenomenal amount. All by pure observation of children and their growth stages. Phenomenal. And science is just now coming around to proving her correct. But she did it through observation. And she said that in environments of fear, children don't learn very well. So you have to create an environment where kids are not afraid. Where kids can be themselves, and then they're free to explore because they learn they learn more by by exploring and discovering for themselves than they own it. Rather than me or you tipping something into their head, and so when they you also explore, learn.
1: Sorry, Malcolm, they also learn by seeing a face and facial gestures, not teachers with masks on.
0: Yep, so yeah, these things continue. must be affecting kids. <laughs>
1: um, oh, absolutely, yeah. It's the psychological damage on these children is going to be lifelong. I mean, I hear of like nine-month-old babies seeing an actual face of a person because mum and dad are walking around with masks on most of the time, except at home, and just staring, like, what is that? What that person, what's a smile? You know, th- this is really important. Like, this is learning about communication. This is how we learn. Like, I think about 95% of what we do is verbal communication. How are these kids going to be able to, to communicate effectively as adults or young adults? if they haven't seen people talking without masks on their face. They don't understand what expressions are. They don't understand what facial gestures are. So, and, and I went to a rally once and this mum said, I said, oh, would you like to wear this Guy Fawkes mask if you if you don't want to be seen or, you know, to have more of an impact? And she said, oh, no, 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 my three-year-old, she's a bit scared of masks, like she's got a bit of an issue with that. She's three. A three-year-old little girl is psychologically traumatised by seeing people wearing masks.
0: Yep. Yep.
1: Like, that is so worrying.
0: And, and some kids are you know? four in Victoria, they've spent half their life in lockdown. And, and what you raise is very important. The higher mammals, like cats, dogs, horses, they can read our faces and they know yes. how we're feeling and they know what sort of mood we're in, what we're going to do, what we could be, you know, threat or, or whether they're going to have some fun with us. Um, and kids need to develop that in the first three years and especially the first six years of life. Maria Montessori, again, and, and uh, she said, the the you know, what is it the um oh, i can't remember the exact words but it was something like the critical years for the formation of both character and intellect are zero to six
1: yeah yeah you know? we've known that for a long time yeah. most people would know that yeah and, and the formative we're, we're, years
0: we're, we're hiding faces away from kids and and destroying the, the interactions and and how many kids are we going to have who are going to have, when they grow up, an inability to communicate properly with other humans? Oh, look,
1: a lot, a lot, you know. And then, of course, we have the uh, the issue with the increasing rates of autism and learning disabilities. And there is a it's very, very challenging time for young parents. Let me tell you, I'm quite happy my kids are older in these times because, you know, homeschooling, working, worrying about jobs, job loss, income. It's terribly terribly challenging times for young families
0: in Australia and worldwide. I'd just like to finish on something you may not know about this but um, I've had dealings over the phone with a doctor called Mark Hobart in uh, Melbourne. He was raided by people who did not declare who they were, had no badges to show for it. Um, They just wandered into his surgery, wandered around it, took some files, patient doctor files, which is sacrosanct. That privacy, mm. that confidentiality, mm. you know that better yeah. than I do, is sacrosanct. Yeah. Yeah. They took them.
1: Yeah.
0: He Breach, had of the... mm-hmm. Breach of
1: confidentiality. Sorry? Breach of confidentiality, we call
0: it. And, and he, yeah. they took those files and they, and he said, hang on, hang on, what, what about my list? What, what, how do I know what files you've taken? We'll check the files and we'll give you a list later. I mean, they could, who knows what they're going to do. They also took his, now what do they call it, appointment book, a consultation book. Mm-hmm. You know, these people. I don't know whether they 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 eventually uh, explained that they were from a Department of Health. I don't know whether it was Victorian or federal, but they were called authorized officers. I think um, eventually, but just wandered in. Authorizing what? Yeah, exactly. Okay. And 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 this they did this without any consent from the doctor, and they stole his private, confidential. Uh, files with his patients, which you should never He's touch. obviously
1: a very good doctor. He's a very good moral, ethical doctor. We don't want them, do we?
0: No, exactly. Well, he, no. he has to good up. Good for him.
1: You. Good for him.
0: Is there anything else you want to say, Kath?
1: Yeah, I would. Uh, have you heard of Mr. Graham Hood?
0: Yes, I have. He's I did, ex- a, did a podcast he's... with him a, a couple of weeks ago. Wonderful.
1: Yeah, so he's the ex qantas pilot. He's got his Facebook post um, named Graham Hood and I know uh close friend of mine who has spoken to Graham only today, and he says that he's experienced, uh, has personal first-hand knowledge of an overwhelming increase of people committing suicide or people experiencing chronic and acute suicidal ideation across Australia. He's getting a lot of emails, a lot of calls from families who have been personally affected by this. So the impact on mental health in Australia is significant. Um, It's very hard to get the statistics, as I said earlier, but you know, a lot of people who have shows like you do um, on various platforms. Malcolm are getting a lot of contact from a lot of concerned people. We're,
0: we're so I just wanted it. to mention and, that. And, and, you know, Cathy, thank you for mentioning that. That reminds me when Anastasia Palaszczuk, the Queensland Premier, uh, announced her edict recently, two days ago I think it was, about um, uh, separating the injected from the uninjected and, forced, and not, not allowing the, uh, those not injected to get into clubs, pubs. Uh, hospitals to visit people you can still get treated but you can't visit your yeah. loved ones and and mm-hmm. care and and company of a loved one is essential for healing um she, she she did brought in these edicts and uh you know it's just inhum inhumane what what she's doing because you, you yeah. can't separate a loved one from someone who needs that loved one's care and attention mm-hmm. um as they're healing in hospital from a serious from a serious illness
1: so what about the medicare levy I mean, why are people paying a Medicare levy, people who are even visiting, if they can't go and visit their relatives? I mean, they may not be receiving the treatment, but no one should be discouraged from visiting someone who is unwell in hospital. We all pay taxes, we all pay Medicare levies. Some of us have private health insurance, so it seems to be a little bit inequitable, Malcolm. Like, whether you're a, pa- whether you're a patient or whether you're a visitor, we all have a right to go into a healthcare system, our Australian Medicare healthcare system, public healthcare system, to visit our, you know, sick relatives, loved ones, like, (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's ridiculous. Whether they're vaccinated or unvaccinated, it's total discrimination, absolute total discrimination. It's a human rights abuse. It's a human rights issue. And I would encourage those people to contact human rights organisations and report what's going on.
0: Well, thank you very much, Cathy, for, for speaking out. And you've been as forthright today as I saw you in public in in Adelaide. So thank you very, very much. And please continue to do what you're doing. Absolutely, I will. There is no one size fits all for dealing with a virus like COVID-19. Australians have a right to choose how we medicate ourselves when ill. The blatant removal of our individual freedoms regarding our chosen medical responses to COVID or to any virus is unprecedented and should concern every Australian we have been corralled like cattle into a yard and forced to plunge into the dip. The mental health consequences of the government's stubborn refusal to consider complementary treatments for COVID-19 is leaving an ugly legacy for families, and the government is ignoring this. Our governments have a preference that says it's better to die from mental health issues such as suicide and suffer debilitating adverse effects from the injections or even death from the injections than to die from COVID or give people medical options. And the risk from COVID is tiny. Adverse reactions are real. The injection is not for everyone. People should not be corralled and made to choose between injection or livelihoods. Our freedom to choose our medical treatments is a fundamental aspect of a democratic society. And I want to honor Cathy because she speaks in a very forthright manner, doesn't hold anything back, is considerate, clear and precise. And when she doesn't know something, she says she doesn't know and gives an opinion Rather than a statement of fact. But when she has the facts, as you've heard, she's very, very clear. And we need more people like Cathy standing up amongst our police force, our teachers, our aged care workers, and our nurses and doctors. Please acknowledge these people when you meet someone who's done this. They've given up their livelihood because of us, because of the rest of us in Australia. We need some protection. Thank you for joining me, Senator Malcolm Roberts, on our nation.